Thank you. You may be seated. Isn't it good to know that the identity and the nature of God is what informs our identity, who we are on the basis of whose we are? Well, thank you for being here, and welcome to Forest Hill Church, whether you're right here in the South Park campus along with the NoDot campus, or you're online at one of our other campuses, or you're in your room, wherever you may be, thank you for being a part of this worship service. This past week, I had the opportunity of being able to walk my dog. I've talked to you about Maximus Aurelius, my gorgeous Siberian Husky, and we're walking, I'm walking the dog, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just yapping, this little miniature collie that just runs, runs out of the house and just up in my dog's face, like with teeth bared, very defensive. Max was really cool and calm because he has an impeccable trainer. But at the same time, there's something that's rising up in me. With like, I, I said to myself, I could just step on this dog and end the whole thing right here and now. And the woman that came out, she was like, like here, sweetheart, come here, dog. The dog didn't pay any attention to her. And as I walked the dog away from that incendiary scene, I petted Maximus and I said, Max, I really wanted you to eat that dog. Surprised that in that moment, just something of anger and indignation, defensiveness rose up in me. Kind of very similar to what's going on in our world right now. Folks, there's a lot of yapping going on, isn't there? A lot of ah, anger in people that are ready to pounce. Maybe it's because it's fueled by disappointments or frustration or anger or loss or the yeah, financial difficulties, whatever else. People seem on this verge of wanting to just to pounce and bite and be defensive being very offensive in the way that they're being defensive in the reaction, this visceral reaction to things that are taking place that's actually creating even more damage and more destruction. We're in this process of this series that's called Cutting Through the Noise, how to be able to live with wisdom in a world of chaos. The very first week is we're taking a look at this book of Proverbs written by one of the wisest men in history, Solomon, who's trying to pass on wisdom to his children and therefore through that book to us as well about how to live well, how to live life in a way that reflects God's intentions for the best of, of, in our life. The very first we, uh, message we talked about, fearing the Lord as the foundation for wisdom. It's the beginning. That to reverence God, to have all respect, reverence for him, is what informs how, therefore, we should receive and live our life as wise people. The one we talked about, also the wisdom in making good decisions, wise decisions that actually benefit, bring benefit to our life and those that are around us. Last week, we kind of got taught about an issue that all of us deal with and the wisdom of learning how to be able to deal with temptation, to avoid those kinds of practices that can actually destroy our life. Today we're talking about the tongue, speech, the wisdom of how to be able to use wise words. Many of us, we've all been wearing masks. Have you all confronted the reality of what your masks have been telling you that you didn't maybe realize that other people already knew? And the idea that our breath, have you smelled your mask recently? I all of a sudden realize, holy smokes, am, am, I, am I that bad? Do you realize that the tongue is the organ that inside of your mouth, it hosts the majority of bacteria inside your mouth? Dentists have said that to be able to get rid of bad breath, it's not simply eliminating plaque from the teeth, it's also eliminating plaque from your tongue. And so there are all these tongue scrapers. I watched a bunch of videos. It's gross of being scraping your tongue and getting rid of that plaque that actually produces bad breath. You and I are completely well aware of the fact that in our world that there is stuff that comes off the tongue that is more destructive, that is more gross than simply just bad breath. It's what's coming off of people's mouths are this toxic secondhand spoke. <laughs> Not secondhand smoke. Secondhand spoke that is noxious. It is more concentrated. It is more widespread. And although we're dealing with a, an infectious pandemic of a virus, 
that the impact of what is happening that's coming off of people's mouths, that it's destroying families and marriages and people with their jobs and communities. It's eroding a sense of the morale that's going on within our society because of what's taking place in these wise, unwise words that are coming out of our mouth. Folks, we seem to right now be in a culture that is poised for poison, especially when you consider the social media and the internet, that everybody feels as if they're a publisher and that whatever they feel, whatever they think gets put out there and it's continuing to contaminate the airwaves. It seems like every other week there's a, some particular celebrity or athlete or corporate executive leader who's getting taken to the woodshed for saying things that are insulting, that's demeaning, that's filled with hate that they're apologizing for. Not to mention that for those of us that aren't so famous, we got the same problem as well. That stuff's coming out of us, stuff's coming off of us, that we're speaking those kinds of things that are demeaning to other people. It's shameful and it's shaming. We're bullying. We're filled with hate and bitterness that reveals the contamination and the unwisdom of what's taking place with the words that we are speaking that is unraveling society. So today, we're going to take a look at Scripture through the book of Proverbs and identify insights and applications of how to be wise with our words in ways that can actually help us save our marriages and our families, maybe save our jobs, maybe save our reputation, or in many cases, save our peace of mind when we learn through the Scripture how to speak with wisdom in ways that benefit. So I'm going to read some passages out of Proverbs. And as a matter of fact, when I read these particular passages, I just want you to kind of do an internal self-diagnosis and identify how relevant these words are that were written centuries ago and how relevant they are for today, just to register that relevance. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 18, 2, A fool... Takes, takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. A lot of that going on right now, right? Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. It's kind of like the contemporary quote that says, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than speak out and remove all doubt. Proverbs 18, 13. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Proverbs 18, 6. Fools' words get them into constant quarrels. They are asking for a beating. The mouths of fools are their ruin. They trap themselves with their lips. And then Proverbs chapter 12. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. It's a good place to stop and ask the question. What kind of impact do you want your words to have on others? What kind of impact do you want your words to have on others? Do you want your words to be more like a balm of healing or a bomb of destruction? Those are choices that we are called to make with what comes out of our mouth. So now we're going to take a look at our focal passage. And this is our practice in the honor and the reverence of the one who inspired this and the authority that it has, if you're able, wherever you may be, let me ask you to stand, and we'll take a look at this passage from Proverbs chapters 15 and 16. Here's what the word of the Lord says. A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. 
The tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools blurts out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. Proverbs 16, the heart of a wise person instructs his mouth. It adds learning to his speech. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen? You may be seated. All right, some insights and observations about the tongue based on these passages. First of all, understand that the tongue is affective. The tongue is affective. In other words, it has impact on people. Now, listen, I know that that's something we probably already know. It doesn't need to be said. And yet, the way that words are being used, you'd think that we've forgotten or we've refused to be aware of how dangerous and how impactful our tongues and our speech can really be. Tongues are like thermostats, right? Thermostats regulate the temperature in a room. The words here in this passage for anger and wrath, they apply to a kind of a root understanding of burning and heat. In other words, that how we use our words, the words and the tones that those words use can actually turn up or down the heat in a situation, which raises a question that we consider before we start speaking, the words I'm about to say and how it's going to come out, do I want to turn up or down the heat in the situation, in the conversation, or in the other person? What's your interest in being able to use your words to affect the environment of what's taking place because a choice is needed? You see... Wise people, they choose words that are kind, that are gentle, that are conciliatory because they seek to kind of dissolve the heat of emotions that can actually derail opportunities for understanding and also peace. Now, listen, I'm not saying that that means that we have to compromise saying the truth when the truth is necessary. It just means that when we speak the truth, we do so in a way that actually benefits the other person. It benefits the situation rather than simply exciting the wrong kinds of negative emotions. For the fool, however, the fool chooses harsh and bitter words, words that are incendiary. It's kind of like pouring gasoline or lighter fluid on smoldering embers that could all of a sudden explode in a conflagration of emotion, of anger, of hurt, of pain. Another picture is that sometimes a fool, they use their words like sword thrusts. I'm sure that many of you have been on the other end of that sword thrust where those words have punctured you and have done damage. The scripture says that the person who's holding that is speaking from a perspective and the platform of being a fool, which is interesting, isn't it? That based on the words that we speak, it actually exposes the content of our character. But for the person that's wise, that when they speak, they actually make knowledge attractive. It kind of causes people to come towards them. It engages them. It, it brings them into that exploration of understanding. Where when fools, it says when the fools blurt out, or in other translations, when fools belch out their foolishness, or they become like leaky faucets dripping nonsense. It actually is something that's repulsive and repellent, and people don't want to get close to a foolish person who's always speaking out of the poison that's on their tongue. Repellent or that's attractive. Here's what's interesting. The tongue 
is affective in the way that impacts other people and situations, but it's also effective in exposing the character of the speaker, whether or not they are foolish or wise. Insight number two is that the tongue has a higher authority to answer to. A higher authority to answer to. It's interesting, verse 3, that talks about God observing the good and the wicked. It almost seems that that verse is there out of place. When you take a look at the context of those passages, why is that, why is that verse 3 in there when it's all talking about the tongue? I believe, that especially in light of the fact that, again, the word Lord is in all capitals, which is actually the name of God, Yahweh, the I am. I think that it may need to be understood that God's saying, I am present in every situation and in every conversation. Jesus actually would say in Matthew chapter 12 that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. Careless meaning those words that we actually speak without any care for their impact. He goes on to say, by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. In other words, God's not just observing. He is storing up that information that's going to inform the kind of conversation he'll have with every single person at the day of judgment when we have to give an account for how we used our words. That should create a little bit of discomfort right there. Because many of us know that we're going to have a probably difficult conversation because our tongue answers to a higher authority. And I misspelled it on purpose. A-W-E. Jason, when he opened us up to talk about the fact that the fearing of, the God, of God is the beginning of wisdom, that that fear means to have a reverence before God, to, have, to hold God in high esteem, to have an awe of God. But it also identifies that every single one of us, we yield ourselves to that authority that informs the way that we speak in addition to the way that we live. Now, many folks, they're going to stand on their First Amendment right the right for the freedom of expression, the freedom of speech, and they, they want to be able to have that kind of power to be able to say whatever they want and the freedom that is protected by those Bill of Rights to allow that to happen, while we may not be too enthusiastic about everybody else having that right and that freedom. Let me go ahead and say this, is that when it comes to those who follow Christ, those who are believers in Jesus' authority, we answer to a higher authority than the First Amendment. Our authority begins with the great commandment that calls us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, dare I say, our tongue as well, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That is how you and I are being informed by the power of the Spirit and the truth of God's Word to live our lives differently. Right now in our country especially, man, humility is becoming extinct. Civility, gone. But I'll say this, that civility can be reestablished and regained when the right of the, first of the First Amendment is informed and regulated by the rule of the Great Commandment. That when the Great Commandment informs all of our rights, civility can be reestablished as people decide to live their lives in honor of all that God is and what he's called us to, recognizing that our lives are accountable, first and foremost, to him. It basically says, where we say, God, not only God, you're right, but God, you rule. God, you rule every aspect of my life, and willingly we place ourselves in submission to that ultimate supreme authority 
for our life. Third observation is that the tongue has an advisor. The tongue has an advisor. The tongue has a tutor. We see that in verses 23 of chapter 16. The heart of a wise person instructs his mouth. It adds learning to his speech. I find that fascinating because we've been taught that the heart is the seat of the emotions. And although that's partially true, in several places throughout Scripture, the heart is not just an emotional receptacle. That the heart actually thinks, in this particular case, is that the heart is informing. The heart is instructing. The heart is guiding that the person who has a wise heart, it guides what happens on the tongue. Proverbs 15.7 says this, Good advice cannot come from the heart of a fool. Wise words come from a wise person. Now, I've done some research, personal experimentation. I've read a lot of different science journals, and there's something I want to be able to drop on you is something that's amazing of what happens when you squeeze a tube of toothpaste. Do you all know why when you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, toothpaste comes out of it? This is amazing. Here it is. The reason why squeezing a tube of toothpaste, toothpaste comes out of it is because toothpaste is inside of it. I know. Isn't it amazing? That's a mic drop opportunity right there. Just drop some knowledge on you, right? Okay, so it's not really earth-shattering news. And here's why I say that. Because sometimes when you and I just in the midst of the heat of our circumstances, when we get squeezed by frustrations or other people and stuff comes out of us, we blurt out something that's insulting, something that's demeaning, something that's obscene or offensive. We say, <laughs> where did that come from? Didn't come from out there. What comes out of us is what's in us. And what comes out of us happens when we get squeezed. And so this passage basically says that the issue is not the tongue, but who is instructing the tongue. It's the condition of the heart. That's what needs to be adjusted. That's what needs to be transformed if we expect our tongues to be reformed. It begins with dealing with the heart. You know, we're going to spend an awful lot of time trying to kind of reform the tongue, wash the mouth out with soap all you want. But it's not the mouth that needs washing. We need a new heart. And the way that our speech gets changed is, first of all, to the degree that we have yielded our hearts to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, who died not simply just to rid our tongues of negative speech, but our lives of the power of, and the penalty of sin. That by faith in him and under his leadership and his lordship, Jesus Christ, who is the I am with us and for us, that we yield every part of our body, every part of our life to him, and he begins to transform us from the inside out by addressing the core of our issue, and that is an unclean heart. And rather than going for a righteous mouthwash, we say, no, Jesus, wash my heart with your mercy, with your grace, so that my heart can become righteous. Make no mistake, when a foolish person, when a foolish words are spoken, it comes from a foolish heart. When wise words are spoken, it comes from a wise heart. All right, let me, let, me, let me check in with you. Are you, you okay? Are you doing okay? How, how is this kind of hitting you? Because if you're like me, going through this, you realize, oh, my goodness, not only does my mask tell me that my breath is bad, but my words tell me that my heart is in need of work. That's the issue, that your heart, my heart, our heart is in need 
of an overhaul. There's a need of transformation. That's one of the reasons why, folks, we're not going to be able to get any hope from government legislation to change what's really wrong. What's needed is God's transformation because it's only when our hearts are transformed that there's a great possibility, therefore, for speech to be expressed in ways where knowledge becomes attractive, where there can be the expression of that which promotes wealth and well-being, health, goodness, as opposed to the things that we are seeing right now that's rampant all over our world and maybe in our own homes also. It starts with a transformation of the heart as we surrender our lives to God through Jesus Christ. So how do we wise up our words? Let's go through some practical applications of wising up our words. And I don't mean just the things that we say, but also in many cases we see the same thing happen in social media. People that are just posting stuff. So here's here's some practical apps. First of all, and this is kind of the same thing for anything that's going to be talked about in this series. It's the first step. Number one, fear the Lord. Number one, fear God. That's to have this reverence, this respect, this humility before him that understands his authority, what he can do. As the supreme ruler of the entire universe, to have that kind of authority, again, not just to say, God, you're right to live in awe of him, but also, God, you rule. The beginning of wisdom that both resides inside and comes out, begins with our fearing of of the Lord. But let's talk about really practical stuff. Number one, fill up, okay? Number one, fill up. Since the problem is in the heart, then that's the thing that we've got to deal with as our first priority is the condition of the heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this, guard your heart above all else for from it flow the springs of life. So here's a question. What are you filling up your heart with? If you are binging on MSNBC or CNN or Fox News, if you are guzzling down the latest tripe of gossip or slander or rumor that's on social media, if you are consuming hours and hours of philosophies and ideas through entertainment, then you are conditioning your heart, and that will condition your speech. If we take the time to be able to fill our lives and inundate our lives with nonsense, Guess what's going to be coming up and coming out? It'll be nonsense. The stuff that conditions our heart, conditions our words. Listen, we can't control what's coming out of other people's mouths, but we can control what's getting into our hearts. And sometimes we need to exercise the priority of using the off button as much as we do the on button. But folks, there are just some people that we probably, in some organizations, we probably just need to block or unfollow because of the toxic information that is pouring into our heart. We actually can say no more. Pastor and leader Eric Geiger says that many people think that social media is the animal that needs to be fed. No. The heart needs to be fed. It needs to be nursed by that which is true and good and lovely and pure and excellent and praiseworthy. And we need to be intentional about what comes into our heart that impacts our thinking as well as our speaking. So here's some things. It begins with taking intentional time to meditate on the word of God. That's the the one true objective source of truth and that which is right and that which is good. So for those of us that say we want a difference in the way that we speak or the way that we relate, it starts by making sure that we're taking into ourselves the truth of God from his word or materials that reflect that kind of resource, whether it's through podcasts or blogs or other books. Or some people would say this, rather than spending your time just simply digesting sound bites from Twitter, 
actually sit down and read an entire book. Walk through a book or journal articles. In other words, engage yourself with weighty material that talks about what's true and what's right. Take the time to be able to ingest and take advantage of the beauty of God in creation and the things that have been created as well. But condition your heart, fill it up on what is right, and what's going to come up out of that can be more wise. Number two, I would say this, slow down your reaction time. Slow down your reaction time. The book in the Bible, the book of James, has been considered to be kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. Here's what James says in chapter 1. He says, brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Human anger never accomplishes God's righteousness. Folks, reacting out of anger just makes things even more angry, things more poisonous, things more difficult, and therefore brings even more damage. This idea that we just got to get it off of our chest, no, as a matter of fact, we slow down our reaction time because right now in our world, it just seems as if the most important thing is just tell people what you're thinking. Just get it out there. You take the time to think through what you're about to say and how that's about to be said. Just because we think it doesn't mean it needs to be said. Just because we write it doesn't mean it needs to be posted or sent. As a matter of fact, I'd say this. You want to write something? Go ahead and write. Write to your heart's content. Write a, a, an entire encyclopedia of emotions. Just don't print it. Just don't post it. Don't allow further venom to add to the cesspool of unprocessed emotions because we hit the send button or because we simply just get it out of our mouth. Sometimes we just need to hold on to that and process further. As a matter of fact, when it comes to posting things, how comfortable would you feel, some people, for what you're about to post on your screen that's going to go to 100 screens, how comfortable would you feel if you were in a room like this or wherever you're at, a big room with a big screen with other people, hundreds of people watching, how comfortable would you be in that room with all the people watching what you might post on the big screen? You probably think twice before you did that. But in an inter interpersonal way, here's what I try to do. <laughs> to slow down my reaction, I try to count to five or seven or ten. And I don't mean, one, two, three, four, five, and then bleh, and, just, and you just vomit out whatever I'm, I'm thinking about. No, I actually try to slow down and ask myself, okay, how do I want to respond to what I've just heard? To focus on what was said to make sure that the next words that come out of my mouth are words that are more thoughtful than reactive so that I'm responsible with my responses. I'm not saying I do that well all the time. As a matter of fact, here's what I've learned. When Jonathan simply just responds and reacts, my words are usually not very wise. So taking the time, especially in relationships, to pause about five. It's, it's sad, it's, it's, it's angry, it's triggered. You don't have to respond right away count to five. Slow count. Make it a, a slow five Mississippi or seven, just so you can regain composure of what's about to come out of your mouth. This is also, the next step is leaning in. You're taking the time to listen. You're taking the time to slow down the reaction. Now lean in. This means that we're relying on the Holy Spirit. We're leaning on the power of the Spirit of God and the gift and the fruit of the Spirit of self-control but realizing that words that are spoken are connected to a heart. And so our opportunity is to try to get behind and beyond the words to where is it coming from. 
that rather than making offensive, defensive statements in response to what you just heard, that maybe we do something different and ask questions, exploratory questions to the person that's speaking to us, to try to get behind what they're saying. We spend so much time focusing on the words, we miss the fact that there's a heart that's behind it. And folks, that works best, that works well the other way also. That when I'm angry and we're upset, that I need to take the time to be able to pause and identify, okay, wait, 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 what's going on inside of me? Why am I angry? Why am I being triggered? What's true in this situation about this person, about myself, about God? What do I really want? It takes time to get to that place where you're leaning in for the purpose of understanding rather than simply just reaction. Folks, it's it's not fair for us to expect other people to understand us if we've not taken the time to understand ourselves and where we're coming from. But to lean in to the meaning behind the words and the heart from which those words come. But invariably, (laughs) we're going to fail, right? We're going to blurt something out. We're going to belt something out that's been insensitive, that is hurtful, that's demeaning, that may be hate-filled. When that happens, not if, but when it happens, come clean. Confess it. To the person who heard it, you confess it, that what came out of your mouth was injurious, and take the time to empathize with the hurt that that pain created. Confess it to God, confess it to the person. Several years ago, as a pastor, I had one of the guys that was in my ministry, he was, uh, hang, we were hanging around together, and I said something, I, I, it was completely a joke, but he took it personally, and I didn't realize that until several days later, he came to me and expressed depression, hurt. Here's what he said to, here's what he said to me, he said, Jonathan, what you said to me, is that how you see me? Oh, the weight of my words and what he just said. And I took the time to think about what I would say next. I registered his pain and I said to him, bro, I am so sorry that what I said had that effect on you. I didn't mean it. I don't think that way about you, but it came out of my mouth. It was unnecessary And I take responsibility for the fact that what I said did damage to you, and I am sorry. Sometimes our apologies aren't as wonderful as we think that they may be, especially when we say things like this. I am sorry you feel that way. Or if you hadn't done or said this, I wouldn't have said what I did. Or, hey, I was just kidding. You need tougher skin, which shifts the responsibility on that other person to be held accountable for dealing with our nonsense. No, no, no. Humble apology says, no, you Whatever the cause may be, something came out of my mouth that was not necessary, that was not helpful, and I need to take responsibility for the damage my words caused you. Folks, I guess bottom line is this. In our conversations, we have a responsibility to show up the best way we know how to bring our best selves to the situation. We choose to do that. That is something that I'm learning right now in my relationship with I May, this beautiful, wonderful woman that I married, and I'm learning all over again the art of communication and how we're learning one another in this process, and it's been challenging in places because of what we're both used to. She and I both want the same thing. We want intimacy. We want oneness. We want communion. We want the deep friendship, but that's a byproduct of, of openness, 
And openness is a byproduct of safety. So here's what she and I have realized, is that our priority is what do we need to do to make sure that there's safety in our relationship, where we can communicate without injuring one another. Safety is our priority. Intimacy is the byproduct. We're learning about how to do that. And so in your relationships, whether they're in marriage, whether they're with your roommate, those that you work with in your family, to decide that we're going to do the wise thing, depending upon God, dealing with the condition of our own heart, seeking to be the kind of people that we can be safe around so that what actually comes out of us can bring about healing and hope and peace and well-being as we yield to the higher authority of God's power in our life. And so we need supernatural, divine strength for that. And I invite you and me to pray about that. Well, let me go ahead and say this as well, too. Especially in light of what's coming up on Tuesday. This coming Tuesday. For the last several months and weeks up to this point, there has been a toxic chemical warfare of words that's been abusive, that's been dehumanizing, that's been divisive, that's been corrosive, that's been destructive. And more is going to happen after Tuesday. As a matter of fact, a lot of people are looking at that like, what's the condition of our nation going to be like? So here's the thing. If you can, vote. Okay? Vote. It's part of our privilege and our responsibility to do that. But here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you vote with the understanding we already have a king. We already have a king, and he's called us and empowered us to live a certain way. We do not vote with the idea that whoever's going to be in the White House is going to solve the intentional and the significant problems of humanity. They can't do it. One has already done it. And so as we go to the polls, we do so, and we're going to make the decision. We will not dehumanize or insult people on the basis of who they vote for. That's their right. Our job is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and tongue, and to love our neighbor. We will not allow them to be seen through a filter of their political party, but as image bearers of God. So let's make sure, folks, this whole thing where in churches people are dividing over political candidates, stop it. It's got to stop. We are the people of God. We are citizens of an eternal kingdom. We're going to respond and react that way. So let's make sure that no matter who people vote for, no word will come out of our mouth that will be disrespectful to the God who made them and us as well. Amen. So vote with your conscience anchored to Christ. And let's be his people. At this time, I'd like to ask the campus pastors, if they would, on their campuses, to take the time now to pray across their campuses and for what's going to happen in our nation, but also our need to trust Jesus for the power to be the kind of people and speakers that are wise and good. And now would you join me in prayer? For some reason, Father, 
I'm aware of how guilty we are of the things that we have said that have been corrosive, that has been said to people or about people. Convict us of where our unwise and compromised hearts have allowed unwise and corrosive, destructive things to come off of our lips. Jesus, we need your cleansing. We can't expect our tongues to be reformed if our hearts aren't transformed. So do that work. God, we need it. For the people that are, that are here right now, Lord, and some of them, they've been on the receiving end of shaming or bullying or insults or demeaning or hate. I pray, God, for your healing mercies. I pray for those, God, who have been responsible for doing that and pray that, God, you would convict them and bring them under your mercy and your grace and your love to change them from the inside. And, Father, we pray for our nation. The United States of America is in a bad condition. But it's not surprising. We have rejected you as our master and our king. But Father, we do pray that your nation, your holy nation, the church, would be nothing less than what you've called us to be in this land of the free and the brave. And Father, that you would help us to make sure that we set an example and that God, maybe through our influence, it might stem the tide of the corrosion and the animosity and that through our lives, people will come to see and to run towards Jesus Christ. At every level, from the White House to the schoolhouse, we pray that your church would be the ambassadors of hope, of peace, of joy, of truth, of purity, of civility, of love. We ask your blessing. We ask your correction. <laughs> Correct this nation where it needs to be. But may your church remain faithful to you as we give our lives for your glory and in Jesus' name, our King who reigns forever. Amen. Let me ask you to stand to your feet and let's respond in worship.